the Supreme Court has just issued, and this is the decision many were waiting for, a ruling in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. This, the major case regarding abortion rights in this country. I want to get straight to our Jessica Schneider, who is outside of the court, uh, with more. Mm -hmm. Jessica, what is the yep. opinion from the court? Poppy and Jim, the court issuing that landmark ruling that this nation has been bracing for, and the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade, that they have eliminated the constitutional right to an abortion. So what we're seeing at first glance here is that this is a 5-4 decision. This is an opinion written by Justice Samuel Alito, joined with those other conservatives, Justice Thomas, Gorsuch, Barrett, and Kavanaugh. Uh, the Chief Justice John Roberts not joining in the opinion, but joining in the judgment, meaning that he agrees that the Mississippi 15-week abortion ban uh, should be upheld, but not agreeing with this sweeping proclamation that Roe v. Wade is overturned. Um, by all estimates, about half of the states are expected to um, eliminate the right to abortion. Hi, this is Ramin Hartman with Indigo Studio, and we are having cozy conversations, yet another. And my guest today is an expert on women, and her name is Rebecca Sive. She started as a campus leader advocating for women's reproductive health services. After graduation, she became a community organizer, and she studied not history, but herstory. And she's received <laughs> an MA, she moved to Chicago, and she has been an advocate for women and girls ever since. She has founded many and led many organizations, uh, organizational movements. She's advised celebrities, but most of all, and this is how I know her, political candidates. So we've started with Mayor Harold Washington, Barack Obama, and, of course, Hillary Clinton. Rebecca, welcome, and thank you for being with us today. How are you? I'm fine. It's a treat to be with you, Hermine. Thanks for asking me to be a part of this. So she is also, Rebecca is the author of three books on Americans, women's politics and power. Her latest book is Make Her Story, Your Story. It's a workbook. It's a guide for justice every day for every woman. And she wrote the book during covid uh, as many people did, a lot of books got written during COVID, figuring <laughs> out what to do, where to go, how to do it. But I think, Rebecca, you must have had a crystal ball because this book is so appropriate for the now of now for women. Well, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but, you know, I do think, and you and I share this experience of having been involved for so long in various movements for justice and civil rights and women's equality that, you know, when the pandemic started and there was, you know, shutdown and all of that, I realized that, you know, we were going to be in a pretty urgent situation uh, once uh, things got better. And, you know, uh, as I said to you when we were talking one day, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a nurse, I said, how can I be helpful here? And, so I came up with the idea for this journal workbook so that uh, women who care about, you know, public issues and all of that can, you know, plan out what they want to do and how they're going to be helpful. And, you know, thank you for complimenting me. It's been well received. It's been really interesting to, you know, do various talks and, and share with people how they can use it. So let's let's talk about women now, today, right mm -hmm. now. 
What's the state of women in America as you see it today? Mm, wow. What a question, well, right? Yeah, that's the biggie. I guess I would say that, you know, the twin issues, so to speak, for women uh, today are not unlike what they always have been, but they sort of, you know, as times change, they take different forms. And those issues are, you know, first of all, economic security and opportunity. And secondly, our health and reproductive rights and ability to make choices about, you know, when and whether to bear children. So, where we are today on those two issues is, you know, uh, for one thing, a result of the uh, pandemic was many women uh, had to leave the workforce to care for their children because, of course, kids weren't in school. And so there's been a, a downturn in women's employment, which, of course, means loss of wages and family income. So women are on a fairly slow trajectory right now to go back into the workforce when there is inflation, which, you know, means your wages mean less. So economics, uh, you're saying there's been an impact on economics for the family. Absolutely huge. I mean, the number of women who left the workforce during the pandemic was in the millions, and that's really, you know, across the country. And so, when you combine the economic challenge we have with this challenge uh, as a result of the recent Supreme Court decisions, you know, the Mississippi case about the, the Women's Health Center, the Dobbs case, you have a, you know, a situation in which we really never found ourselves before. So let's talk about Roe versus Wade. So when we were in college, for, I, I think for you and for me, there mm-hmm. were two movements. There was the feminist movement. And there was the civil rights movement. And right. we were involved in both, and both at the core was social justice and equity uh, on sexism and on racism. What does it mean at this point that Roe versus Wade has reversed? Well, it's just a, a you know, a tragic litany of, uh, of challenges to women and their families. I mean, the core issue is that the overturn of Roe means that women don't have uh, the right and the ability under the Constitution uh, to make their own decisions about their own reproductive health care. And, you know, to your point about our involvement in the civil rights movement and the importance of it, and, you know, for instance, the the security of voting that's established by the Constitution, you know, just think if that weren't, if, if various uh, laws related to that were, or cases were overturned. So the situation I, I sh- for women... I shudder. I shudder and pray every night. Well, that's exactly it. You know, I, I, um, I actually had a conversation with some young people recently, and I shared with them, you know, my own experience coming of age and, and, you know, talking about the civil rights movement and how, you know, my family discussed this around the dinner table and recalling once when I asked my mother, why aren't you, this was 1964, 65. I said, why aren't you in Mississippi? And she said, well, I have five kids to raise and I'm doing everything I can. And so when you think about times like that and you realize how people risk their lives for justice and equality and opportunity, you know, it's similar now with this decision 
and how it's affecting women, you know, their lives are at risk. Their rights are, you know, diminished considerably. Rebecca, one of the things different than when we were fighting for Road versus Wade mm-hmm. versus now as women, we were politically active. These young people are not voting. The last vote in Chicago, only 10,000 young people voted. And what the trend showed was the older you are, the more likely you are to vote. And the younger you are, the less likely you are to vote. Do you think at this particular point in time, with the reversal of Road versus Wade, that young women, young people, will become more politically active by voting than not. How do we get that message across? It's like, hey, guys, you got you to gotta vote. You got to mm-hmm. get active. You got to get in the process. This is where the decision is made. How do we do that? Well, you know, it's just the sort of, what do they say, the $64,000 question. I mean, I read something recently that said that, you know, young people were really um, – equally dismayed, so to speak, by President Trump and President Biden because of the inaction, for instance, on issues like climate change and the economic insecurity they're facing. And, you know, in my view, for many reasons, there's no comparison between those two people as uh, imperfect as we all are. And so the idea there, I think what we have to do is uh, to communicate and collaborate with young people to help them understand that, you know, it's not, uh, (laughs) when you go to vote, it's not, you know, making a marriage vow or something. It's just saying, this is the direction I want to head in. This is important to me. This is important to my family. This is the right people literally spilled blood and died for, right? Right. And I'm going to express my point of view here, and then I will keep working. And, to do anything other than that is just to uh, retreat to a, you know, a context in which you have no rights at all, because that's what will happen if you don't vote. That's right, and and they've got we got to make them understand. Listen, I want to talk about the book. You got fifteen chapters in this book, and it, like I said, it's a workbook. It's a journal. It's a workbook. It's a it's an activist book. Let's mm-hmm. talk about your the first step in the journey. And that is imagination. And you say you have to imagine who and what you want to be. You've got to make your story. You've got to make her story. Talk about that for me. How do you how do you do that? And that's one of well, the things I really like about the book. I mean, you've got you've got pages here where you can, you know, you can write, but you're saying, here's an example, and then you say, here's some suggestions on the how. To do it, so talk about how do I imagine? I'm a young woman. I'm, 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 my career is beginning. My family is beginning. What do I do? Well, one of the things I think is to, in the first place, to understand that you, as a young woman, have every right and every opportunity, if you choose to exercise it, to not only pursue a family life of whatever kind you choose a 
work life of whatever kind you choose, but also to be active in the public square, to be active in your community, to even become a leader. So the first step is is to accept that fact that it's not just people, say, who are you know rich or powerful or married to somebody important or something like that. Each of us, you know, has that opportunity to not only serve, uh, but to lead. And so the initial notion is, well, if I'm going to serve and to lead, I need to, as you put it, imagine, and that's, you know, the first section here, what that looks like for me. And so I can just say to, you know, our listeners, and um, in my own experience, it's sitting in a quiet space. Sometimes I listen to music, um, but I sit and I just think, what is it that would just bring me great joy to have accomplished, a great sense of service to my community, and maybe even kudos, kudos, so to speak, for a job well done. So the how is to sit in a space and a place that enables you to think and enables you to then as the journal does, uh, write down what you have imagined. So and, you, you uh, say one of your suggestions is to think about the women that you most admire. They exactly. don't have to be famous, but you admire them. There's something there that's very key for you, and you find that to be inspirational, and you write down why. And one exactly. of those women for you was Marion Wright Edelman. What was it that you saw, for example, in her that was stimulating for you? Well, she and others, uh, you know, Chicagoans, particularly, you know, for me and uh, as I was coming up, Addie Wyatt and Willie Barrow and Nancy Jefferson, uh, names which if any of you all listening don't know, please learn. Um, Go look it up. Saw, they were powerhouses. Weren't they? You know, and what I saw in those women and in Marion Wright Edelman as well is the courage to step out and assert oneself and say, this isn't for me. I'm stepping out because this is something I want to do for the world. And I've thought about this. I've uh, put the pieces together in my own mind about how I think this can happen. I'm going to gather together with my community members, my girlfriends, whoever it is, and I'm going to try to make this happen. So what sparks this all for me is the notion that each of us has the right as well as the responsibility to kind of step up and say, you know, I'm going to be helpful. I'm going to do something. I'm going to be somebody, so to speak, and on behalf of the larger world. That's how you do it. And you start simple. It's not a big start. It's a small start. So it starts with the students at school. It starts in the classroom. It starts right. at church. It starts in the neighborhood. But And I always tell people, just follow the path of Jesus. You only need 12 people to start something. And if you get a good 12 people, you can start it and you can keep it going. Well, you know, one of the things there a, a, was a book I read when I was in college called Rules for Radicals, mm-hmm. written by a man named Saul Alinsky. Oh, and, yes. And you'll recall that, you know, what he uh, advised, and to your point about it doesn't have, you don't have to start out really big, um, 
what he advised was uh, identifying a project, a service, a, a commitment in your community uh, that was something that a lot of people could get around, you know. So he cited an example, I think it happened in some Chicago neighborhood, actually, where, you know, the local grocery store was selling bad hot dogs, right? Doesn't sound like the most important issue in the world, but it is important, right? Everybody's It's, it's important if, you, if have, you're eating a hot dog. Right. And so, and and his point was that, you know, once you come together around an issue uh, that everyone cares about, you build a sense of camaraderie, you build a sense of mutual commitment, you're reinforced in your public actions uh, by other people, and you therefore have, you know, formed the basis for future activity, which, for instance, might be bigger. And so I will just say in this context that for me, my second lesson, really big lesson in this way as a young woman was when I... um, worked for Mayor Washington when I was one of the leaders of his uh, campaign in 1982 and 83. And when I met with Mayor Washington to talk with him about, you know, what his plan was, he said, you know, he literally described for me point by point, I'm going to go to this ward and do this. I'm going to go to that ward and do that. And, you know, he had a plan, and he executed it. And it was very specific. It wasn't global. It was specific. Step one, step two, step three. And that was part of his greatness in his leadership, not only as he led the city, but as he led us, us that were Mm -hmm. a part of his organization, as he kind of, you know, mentored as to this is what you do, and this is how we're going to do it, the plan. Right. He was a genius about that. He I was. mean, and, you know, we you know, those of us, of course, who got to know him and work for him and so on were really blessed. Um, but I say it in the context of this book, because really what the book is, is uh, workbook is enabling you to do is, in fact, what, for instance, um, Mayor Washington advocated, identify the steps, first identify the goal then identify the steps, then identify the resources. Along the way, identify the people who you want to have join you in this work and what are the messages that are going to, you know, convince them to sign on. We're having a conversation with Rebecca Seib. Don't go away. Small businesses are the pillars of our communities and they deserve our support. The BMO for Black and Latinx businesses programs provides the support by giving you better access to educational resources, partnerships, and funding. BMO has already made an impact by providing financing to more than 1,200 businesses throughout the Midwest. Business owners who are part of the program benefit from a wide range of tools, webinars, and coaching to help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Meaningful partner connections give you access to professional networks and alternative funding sources to help your business scale. And funding for your business comes with expanded credit criteria and competitive interest rates to help you obtain the working capital that you need to succeed. If you identify as a black or Latinx business owner, BMO Harris is here to help your business thrive and create capacity to grow. Learn more at bmoharris.com slash 
Black and Latin X. When a bank helps you make real financial progress, well, that's the BMO effect. Now that leads me to the next chapter, Words Matter. You write, <laughs> one of the greatest and constant opportunities is to be able to express yourself, communications in your speech and in your writing. What you say you're going to do, how you say it, the words that you use to describe the goal, the plan, the opportunity, the challenge, and so forth. Talk about words matter, because that that absolutely caught my attention. Uh-huh. When I think about the idea that words matter, it's because in my own experience of, you know, being involved in, in politics and community projects of various kinds, I've seen how important it is. Uh, for whoever is putting together the project or reading the project or the campaign to not only have an idea, but to be able to express it in a compelling way, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why the words matter, because if you have some idea, but you're sort of unable to sit there and talk with people, much less give a speech to people uh, about this idea, uh, you know, then you're not going to uh, be able to realize it. So, I think that the second thing related to it is the words you choose, right? Mm-hmm. So are they inclusive? Are they supportive? Are they joyful? Are they inspirational? Um, and so the words really matter in the sense of uh, the feel that they give to people who are listening to you or reading uh, what you've written. And I guess last I would say that... Um, Words matter because, unfortunately, if used carelessly, they have the power to hurt. That's right. So I am, I am a student of Johnny Coleman, Reverend Johnny Coleman. You might remember mm-hmm. the late Johnny Coleman. And, right. of course, that was part of her ministry. And once uh, she got a letter from Reverend Jackson thanking her for something that she had done, and the signature on the letter from in the Civil Rights Movement, was yours in the struggle. That was the Mm -hmm. sincerely yours in the struggle. And she preached a sermon on that. She called me and she says, why are these letters signed yours in the struggle? Mm -hmm. And I had never thought about it. I said, well, I don't know. I I think it means, you know, we're, we're working toward a goal. And she says, it's not the way to sign the letter. The letter should be yours in the success I mean, your point about what Reverend Coleman said is an interesting one. I guess I would say that both what she was suggesting and what Reverend Jackson wrote have, you know, are equally important. They both have merit, don't they? Yes. But her her perspective was, don't send me any more letters saying struggle. I don't struggle. We succeed. (laughs) And I was like, well, okay. Now, you make another point, and this is a great, this is a great, uh, a great lesson, fight like a girl. Think about <laughs> fight like a girl and what it means. What does it mean, Rebecca, to fight like a girl? Well, I, I to me, uh, several things. In the first place, you know, girls are as strong as boys, right? Not I, something that, that every girl, unfortunately, learns as she's coming of age. So... We can fight. We can fight hard. We can fight with justice in mind. Um, The second thing is it it sort of uh, suggests that 
there may be some differences. I don't, you know, people can differ on this a bit. I think uh, uh, in in the ways that women uh, fight uh, and that those are different from men, I've heard some discussion about that. But most importantly, I think it means it, it the, the intent there is to communicate the idea that fight and girl go together, that we are not submissive, that we are not second-class citizens, that we're not, you know, sitting in the back seat instead of the front seat. Not passive, huh? We're not passive, right. We are going to fight and fight like a girl because other girls fight hard, too, and that's just what we're doing for, you know, what we believe in. So talk to me about leadership. How do you perceive uh, women's leadership versus male leadership? Mm. <laughs> how how are they alike and how do they differ? Do we have synergy or is there just one set of good rules for leadership? Or is there really a difference between the way men lead and the way women lead? Oh, wow. What a question. I think there's one set of rules in the sense that leaders, um, I believe, regardless of, you know, being male or female, should be kind, should be disciplined, should have studied, should have communicated with people in, in ways that they can understand and appreciate. In other words, just be good people, right? Mm-hmm. So the first thing is male or female, you're a good leader because you are a good person in all the ways that that manifests. Um, as to whether there are differences, there's a lot of uh, research out there saying that there are differences in male and female leadership um, behaviors. Uh, a good example of something recent was when a few years ago, I think it was when President Obama was in office and there was a stalemate on his federal budget. And the women U.S. senators across the aisle, Democratic and Republican, got together and made a deal and got that budget passed. Wow. And, you know, much was made of that, that these women asserted a style of leadership that essentially was devoted to being collaborative and problem solving. So it was women unite as opposed to women divide. Rather than let's argue about it, let's figure it out and let's unite and get it done. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it relates in the political context, in the government context, to the fact, for instance, I think this is important for people to know that, you know, women uh, members of Congress are more successful as a rule than male members in bringing more more of the bacon home, so to speak, to the district. They find ways to collaborate. They find ways to make deals and, you know, sort of get the main job done. Wow. Rebecca, mm-hmm. thank you for a cozy conversation. Thank you for your book. I suggest everybody go out and get it. It is Make Her Story, Your Story, and it is a workbook. It's a workbook for women. It's a workbook for all on leadership, uh, social justice, uh, what to do, how to do, and now is the time to do. Rebecca, thank you so very much for being with us. Oh, Hermine, it was a treat. Thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. This has been Indigo Studio, and it's been a cozy conversation. Our guest today was Rebecca Sy. She's the author of a book, a wonderful book, Make Her Story Your Story. She's a feminist historian and activist.
activist and community leader. Thank you for being with us today. You're sweet to have me. Thank you.